on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the future of cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in the automotive industry and its supporting ecosystem and help them move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place. And if you remember the code, when I say welcome four times, that means we have four experts on our panel today. It's rainy here in New York. We're having all kinds of little connectivity issues and glitches, but we are here and glad to be here. You are listening to The Future of Cars with Game Changers. Uh Uh-huh. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. Well, there's a buzz here from Larry King. Oh, you know, the TV and radio host. He's gotten all kinds of awards, a little wry, a little droll. He's currently on Hulu and RT America. Let's see what he said. He said, I'm the worst person to be stuck with in a traffic jam. Well, Well, bravo to you, Larry King. I'm sure that's true. But the operative word here in our buzz today is traffic. So we're going to look today at an article that appeared just a couple of weeks ago, March 8th, 2017, in the New York Times. It's called, it was titled, Self-Driving Cars Can't Cure Traffic but economics can, we're going to put a whole bunch of question marks after that. So what do experts say about autonomous vehicles, you know, those self-driving things you keep reading about in the headlines, and cities? Well, our panel today is going to discuss the article, Agree or Disagree, Yes or No, Good, Bad, and the Ugly, and the Truth in Between. Many of them are probably going to agree on the upside of autonomous vehicles. Come on, there are advantages. You may not ready to be giving up your car ownership, but there is a safety issue once they get it all proven and fixed up. There's convenience. You'll have extra time. You can go do whatever you need to do, work and play in the car instead of looking at the road. Think about this. Kids, teenagers, seniors without cards, they will be able to have have newfound mobility. But, 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 here's the big but. It will not help traffic on U.S. highways. No matter how many roads we add, no matter how many lanes we add, no matter how many HOV lanes, you know, high occupancy vehicle. No, get rid of the dummy in the front seat. We want real people. So what is the answer to our traffic? What is the answer to the stress it causes? Better city planning? I don't know. How about flying cars? How about all kinds of roadways above the roadways? Do we need to go with double-decker, triple-decker, all kinds of things that fly over the roads? What about surge pricing? Would you be willing to pay more to be in a vehicle on a road during high peak times so that there are fewer cars because not everybody has deep pockets? Well, we're going to have a lively discussion. As I like to say on a topic like this, our panel's going to kick the tires. Okay, let me tell you who's on the panel and then we will get started with our opening quotes. First up, we're welcoming a newcomer to Game Changers. He is Joe Burton, the founder and CEO of a company called Will Concepts, W-H-I-L. Joining him on the panel are three regular guests. They're here 
frequently, and we're delighted to have them back. Heather Ashton, Research Manager at IDC Manufacturing Insights, is with us again today, joined by her colleague at IDC, Ruth B. Yesner-Clark, Research Director of the Global Smart City Strategy Program at IDC. And rounding out the panel, of course, we couldn't do this show without him. It's Larry Stoley, Senior Global Director of Automotive Marketing at SAP. Larry is the sponsor and idea man for this series. So welcome to everyone on our panel. And now let me introduce Joe Burton formally with a quote he sent me from Stephen Wright. Now, I said Larry King was a little droll. Well, Stephen Wright is deadpan. He also happens to be an Oscar-winning film producer, but you know him as a stand-up comedian. He has nonsense sensical jokes, non-sequiturs, that means A and B don't go together, anti-humor, one-liners that are very contrived but very funny, and something called paraprostokians. Look it up. Here's the quote Joe has selected. They say the universe is expanding. That should help with the traffic, quoting Stephen Wright. Joe Burton, welcome to Game Changers. How are you, Joe? I'm well. Thanks so much for having me. We are delighted. Are you stressed today or are you relaxed, Joe? I hope you're relaxed. I'm pretty relaxed this morning, I have to say. I'm very glad. So talk Francisco to us. And there's something relaxing about it every day. I'm glad to hear that. Not so in New York here. So tell me, you picked this quote from Stephen Wright. I love the quote. It, it, always there's a little bit of a twist and a turn. No pun intended in terms of roadways and big cities, Joe. Uh, how come you picked this quote for our topic today? And uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about the topic? What do you think? What, what's your POV? Well, I'm really excited about the topic, and I'd have to say it's sort of mixed. Um, I love the idea of self-driving cars. Um, I don't think it's going to do a whole lot for stress. I think we'll probably take that stress and put it elsewhere in our life, as we do whenever we outsource any of our cognitive abilities. <laughs> so there's an, app, there's an app to take up your time and stress you out no matter where you free up time in your life. So with respect to this quote, um, we're talking about stress, and I think a key element of stress is this feeling that, you know, things are closing in on you or that you're stuck or, you know, things or people are against you. So it's this sort of lack of space oftentimes that helps create uh, stress. And that's certainly the case in traffic when you're, you know, by definition stuck. And um, because I'm in the mindfulness business, part of a mindfulness meditation practice is actually practicing this ability to create space for yourself, to feel that you're okay to create space to think before you act, uh, to understand your emotions, and to not get so fired up at every little thing that comes your way. Um, and I think that kind of fit perfectly with uh, Stephen Wright's humor, uh, because so much of it is abstract and, and about, you know, life being a joke and us all being stuck. Uh, so I thought it fit well for today. Thank you, Joe. I agree. And I happen to be a big fan of Stephen Wright. There's something about seeing a guy who's who's being very, very funny coming out and not smiling. It's just, it's just such a talk about a non sequitur and an oxymoron. It's very, very, very interesting. But I remember him from way back in the day. And interestingly enough, he was born in 1955. So he's not exactly uh, the new kid on the block. You may find this interesting, Joe Burton. Stephen Wright was ranked 23rd, that's number 2-3, on Comedy Central's list of the 100 greatest comedians. Did you know that, Joe? I did not, uh, but I'm happy to hear it. I've seen him probably four times over the years, and uh, I just think he's fantastic. 
I, I agree. The world needs more dour, non-smiling comedians to tell us the truth. <laughs> Anybody who doesn't know Stephen Wright, it's S-T-E-V-E-N Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. Go find his website and laugh yourself silly, but not when you're driving, not, not when you're behind the wheel. Thank you, Joe. Welcome, and we're delighted to have you join the panel today. And now we're going to focus on Ms. Heather Ashton, Research Manager at IDC Manufacturing Insights. And Heather has sent us another very interesting, the quotes today are so, I think they're so funny and so good. She has picked a quote from Margaret Thatcher. Oh, come on. Margaret Hilda Thatcher, Baroness Thatcher, L-G-O-M-P-C-F-R-S-F-R-I-C. She lived from 1925 to 2013. If you don't know the name, for goodness sake, she was the Prime Minister of the UK from 1979 to 1990. She led the Conservative Party in Britain from 75 to 90, the longest-serving British Prime Minister of the 20th century, and the first woman to hold that office. And interestingly enough, a Soviet journalist, interesting to me, dubbed Margaret Thatcher the Iron Lady because of her uncompromising politics and her leadership style and her policies are known as Thatcherism. How many of us have a country's policies named after us? So here is the quote Heather has picked from Miss Thatcher, PM Thatcher. Standing in the middle of the road is very dangerous. You get knocked down by the traffic from both sides. I think it was a political comment, but it works for us. Heather, how are you? Welcome back. Thanks, Bonnie. I'm doing great today and and good to be here again, despite the rain up here in the uh, Boston area as well. Happy to share the bad weather with you, Heather. Misery loves company. No, seriously, we, we had a couple of nice days in between, and now it's it's just making up its mind how many April showers will bring how many Mayflowers. Let's be optimistic. So I love the quote you picked, Heather. Talk to me about it. Do you think she was just talking about her position as prime minister and leader of the conservative party? Or you think she was really talking about standing in the in the middle of the road? I think she was talking about her position and, and what it was like with all those opposing forces. Um, and I think it's very apt in, in the current environment that we face because we are bringing together today on this show a really kind of cross-industry approach and look at what connected and autonomous vehicles mean um, because it is policy. It's governments. It's what they decide to do, right? It's, and then it's the consumers or the citizens and what they decide to do. And it's the, you know, that overarching is um, kind of Joe mentioned the stress, right? So our, our schedules as humans, ha- where we have kind of evolved to, and then, and then the tech providers, the, com- the companies that are working to enable this technology to, to bring you from point A to point B where you don't have to drive, but that's not necessarily the solution. So I think it is kind of standing in the middle of all of that conflict and trying to understand and determine what's the right course for us um, with this great technology in light of the current environment where we live. Thank you, Heather. A question for you. How much would you be willing to pay to take your car, self-driving or not, onto a roadway at, let's say, what's peak in, what's peak in your area? 5 p.m., 6 p.m., let's say, yeah. on a Wednesday afternoon, 5 o'clock Wednesday. What would you pay? Would you be willing? Uh, I would pay a, a big premium, I have to say, yes. So, so I'm one of those people who believes, yes, that it's that whole capitalistic approach, right? Um, I, I would be willing to, I'd be willing to pay a lot because there's, there's a lot of wasted time I spend in a car stuck in traffic on the Tobin Bridge in Boston. Well, we'll be looking for you. We'll, we'll wave at you while you're stuck in traffic, looking up quotes from Margaret Thatcher. Thank you, Heather. Very good to have you. Always good to have you on. And now let's welcome your colleague at IDC, Ruth B. Yesner-Clark, Research Director for the Global Smart City Strategies Program. And Ruth B. has quoted somebody. I've never heard of this guy, Ruth B. I had to look him up. His picture doesn't. He's been in so many movies, but obviously this is not the genre I go to. His name is Nick 
Stahl, S-T-A-H-L. He's a young one, born in 1979. Oh, my goodness. American actor known for The Man Without a Face, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, and the HBO series Carnival. Okay. He was in the role of John Car- John Connor in Terminator 3 with Arnold. He recently starred in films Mirror 2, Mirrors 2, Afghan Luke, and Away From Here. And here is a quote, very interesting, uh, getting into the psyche of Nick Stahl. And I quote, oh man, if I had magic powers, I would hope that I would use them for good. I think I would. I'd probably do something pretty trivial, like making traffic disappear. Ruth B., I can't, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't keep a straight face given our topic. How are you, Ms. Clark? Everything good? I'm great, thank you. Love the How did yeah. you find this quote? I've never even heard of Nick Stoll. How did you find Nick Stoll? Uh, you know, I just poked around for traffic quotes and wanted to find, you know, I just, I do it like you, you search for a greeting card in a, in a store, you go and you look at a few and then one speaks to you for the right person. You're like, that's the one I have to have. And that's sort of what happened with this quote. Um, and I really think it's because, you know, here's this guy talking about magic powers and he says, you know, I think I'd like, I'd probably use them to make traffic disappear, which I thought was so interesting um, for our conversation. And also the fact that he says, but I'd probably do something pretty trivial, which mm-hmm. to me in saying pretty trivial, he's saying the exact opposite, right? It's obviously not trivial if it's come to mind for him as something he would do if he was asked in an interview. You know, this was like a press interview. He's asked in an interview if he had magic powers. He's going to say he wants traffic to disappear. So. Very in- yeah. What well, do you think, Nick? Nick Stahl, with his vast—he uh, for a young guy, he certainly has been in a lot of movies and, and big time movies with big time stars. Do you think he would pay for surge pricing if he had to take? If he even drives his own car, I don't know. Would you think he would pay for for surge pricing if he wanted to go on the roads of, let's say, uh, between New York and Boston to visit Heather uh, at five o'clock on a Wednesday? <laughs> would, would he pay? I know he yeah. has a lot of money, but would would he pay for it? Oh, yeah. You know, I think, first of all, he's probably in L.A. where they're at a standstill, you know, five hours a day. So I'm guessing that he would absolutely pay for it. And I and I think, um, and I, I, I really like Joe's sort of addition here about, you know, the fact that traffic is a huge, has a huge daily impact on our life, right? It really, really impacts most of us every day as we're trying to go to work. And it is a stressful and miserable experience. Nobody like seeing sitting in traffic and you know I'm a low stress driver people cut me off I'm like eh it's just not something that bugs me but I see the stress and the road rage around me and I think part of it was Heather said is you really want to be doing something else you know your life is busy you're sitting in traffic and mainly what you're thinking about is oh my goodness what I could be doing with my time right now that I'm wasting for an hour sitting here so in that way I think people would pay for surge pricing to get places quicker if it, if it were to get them somewhere quicker. And I also think that's where the, the autonomous driving comes in as, as seeming really appealing because if you're in a, a self-driving car, you can be productive. You could read. You could do work. You are not feeling like you're wasting your time. Um, but that, of course, to our larger question, doesn't mean that it reduces traffic and it doesn't reduce all the negative impacts of traffic. It just means that people may be less miserable while they're either going quicker or sitting in their cars. 
And and to your point, Ruth B, if you could, let's say, prepare for a meeting, let's say you had all of your, your tools of the trade, all of your mobile mobility, your devices, and you had enough room, maybe a little table in the in the car, and you really trusted this self-driving autonomous car, and, and it had been proven, and it was accident-free, and nobody was in the car with you, it, it, would it possibly be the opportunity for you to say, damn, I wish there was more traffic. I'm not ready for the meeting. I need another 30 minutes in the road. Car, take a left. Go into the height, height of the traffic because I don't want to get to the to the office yet. Do you think that would ever happen, Ruth B? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think that's true. I mean, you imagine, you know, if you could take a limo everywhere and, and it was a Wi-Fi enabled, Heather and I talk about this often, where the, the connected car is like a moving data center, right? It's going to have all sorts of infotainment. Yes. It's going to have wireless connectivity. You could do your work, watch a video, have a drink, take a nap. Um, you know, you can really be quite, quite comfortable um, in these cars, which, to your point, means people will care less to some degree about traffic. I mean, it doesn't work in every case if you're trying to get to an event, if you want to see your kid doing something. If you really have someplace to go that's time important, it's not going to change that kind of stress. But, you know, in terms of commuting or productivity, if that's sort of what's stressing you out about traffic, yeah, that will certainly make a difference. You will not care as much about that 45 minutes you're losing commuting to work because you can start answering your emails and and working in the car. That's right. And you can also say, I'll be there in 30 minutes stuck in really bad traffic. And then subtext, ha ha, I'm working on the report, suckers. (laughs) And you can be on the phone, too. You can do all your conference calls. That's right. And you can have a screen and they can see that you're really in traffic. And then we need virtual backdrops, right? We need we need virtual sets so they can see that you're someplace maybe wonderful and not sit. Oh, anyway, I'm, I'm getting all excited about this. Thank you very much, Ruth B. We can dream, can't we? Let's turn to he's waited so patiently. Usually he's first on the panel, but I made him go last just because I want I won't say I want to save the, the best for last. But I wanted to see if Larry Stoley was able to deal with being in a little bit of uh, panel traffic, shall we say, Larry? Larry, of course, is the sponsor of this series. I'm always thrilled to welcome Larry. He has such great topics. Larry and I collaborate on topics sometimes, and I think I I may have been the one who sent him this article from the New York Times. Larry has selected a quote from Steve Wynn, W-Y-N-N. Let me give a little background here. Stephen Allen, Steve Wynn, uh, nay, they say, even though he's a man, Weinberg, born in 1942, so he's kind of up there, an American real estate businessman involved in the American luxury casino and hotel industry. He's also a renowned art collector. If you're not familiar with Steve Wynn, my goodness, he's on TV all the time. In his commercials, he oversaw the construction and operation of Las Vegas and Atlantic City hotels way back in the day. Think about the Golden Nugget. Think about the Mirage. Think about Treasure Island. You must have heard of the Bellagio. He has played a pivotal role in the resurgence of the Las Vegas Strip way back in the 90s. He sold his company, Mirage Resorts, to MGM Grand, which created in the formation of MGM Mirage. Then he had an IPO, good for him, and went public, and he's the CEO and chairman of the board. He's got all kinds of new hotels, the Wynn, now they have his name, the Wynn Las Vegas, the Wynn Macau, Encore Las Vegas, and the Encore at Wynn Macau in in 2010. He's a busy guy. He's been inducted into the American Gaming Association Hall of Fame. And hold on to your hats, kids. As of September two years ago, his net worth was a mere 2.4 billion with a B. He was the 279th wealthiest person in America, according to Forbes. We have to get an update. Here is the quote Larry has selected from Steve Wynn. If I complain about traffic, I have only to blame myself. 
Larry Stoley, you've been so patient. How are you, Larry? I'm doing well, doing well. Patience is uh, is interesting. You have time to think and to relax. <laughs> Exactly the point of what we're talking about with yeah. self-driving cars, the blessing of traffic. So, Larry, are you? have you been, may I ask, have you been to any of Steve Wynn's fabulous luxury casinos and hotels? And if so, you have a favorite? Las Vegas, yes. So, you know, I guess I would say that's my favorite because it's the only one I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, been there. Uh, business, of course. So, you know, it's kind of get up and go back to the room and go to bed, that kind of stuff. Not a whole lot of fun around that. But it was a nice place, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it, it really hit me with Steve Wynn's quote about traffic. If, I'm, if I complain, I only have myself to blame. This one hit very close to me. My wife and I moved um, a number of years ago. I mean, we lived in San Francisco. We lived in Atlanta. I traveled Houston, so, and I've traveled L.A. And, you know, I, I, I know this, this traffic thing pretty well. San Francisco was, was terrible from my perspective because... To get anywhere, you had to cross a bridge. And, of course, bridges are bottlenecks and so on and so forth. So my wife and I moved a few years ago for the sole purpose of getting away from the traffic. So the interesting thing was we did get away from the traffic, sort of. But now, mm-hmm. 12, 13 years later, we're scratching our heads saying, where did all this traffic come from? <laughs> because it's caught up with us. And then you scratch your head and say, you know... Uh, we're part of the problem, and that's exactly what Steve Wynn said. So it was, uh, yeah, it was very touching on that point. One thing I do want to do is is remind uh, my East Coast friends that you don't have to shovel white rain, ladies. <laughs> no, so. I don't. I have people to do that actually, but they're not shoveling rain. Either. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. Thank you, Larry. Larry, you certainly picked an interesting topic. We like provocative topics here on Game Changers. You know that. And great panel. Larry always packs the house, and that's why we have four on the panel today. Happy to have all four of you. So let's circle around the table back to Joe Burton, who is probably very stress-free and and being very mindful because that's the business he's in. And, Joe, I'm going to ask you, what are you drinking today that makes you happy? Or if nothing in particular, what would you rather be drinking that puts a smile on? I'm looking at you smiling in your wonderful picture here. What makes you smile that's in your cup? Joe Burton, talk to us. So I have a, uh, a pretty boring routine. What's in my cup today is decaf coffee. So I, I love uh, the taste of coffee, but um, several years back I gave up uh, uh, caffeinated coffee. <clears throat> I'm 48 now, and um, I found that I'm a lot more interested in my sleep than I was when I was younger. <laughs> and so I do whatever I can to protect it. And so, you know, uh, I think a lot of us when we're younger, we kind of attack our sleep with, uh, you know, drinking soda or too much alcohol, desserts. And I was guilty of all of that. Um, <clears throat> and right around when I turned 40, um, I started being a lot more focused on sort of how my body works and um, the kind of things that I was doing to cause myself back pain and insomnia and asthma and that kind of stuff. And so I have a pretty boring routine in the morning. A good, a delicious tasting decaf for me. And is there a favorite brand to that delicious decaf? I think our listeners would like to know that, Joe. What do you drink? What's your choice? My, my choice is uh, Blue Bottle. Blue Bottle Coffee is fantastic. And I'm happy to say there are a number of uh, locations popping up around San Francisco. So it's easier to get than it used to be. 
even with traffic. Thank you very much. Go get that decaf coffee. I'm a big fan of decaf. So thank you, Joe, and, and pleasure to have you on board. Heather, what are you drinking today, or what would you like to be drinking? <laughs> I'll focus on what I'm drinking, because given the rain, I would like to be drinking something that's a little spiked <laughs> compared to the coffee I have in my cup. Um, so I'm, I'm, in, I'm full test. I have to say I do, um, I do love the taste of coffee and I like the caffeine. Um, but I am putting in almond and coconut milk. And almond coconut milk mix these days that I use my frother to make nice and foamy so I don't miss the, uh, the foaminess of, of real milk, dairy milk. Oh, I like that. I like that. Yes, the frother. Do you have one, the, that little silver thing? It looks like a little miniature coffee maker. and You plug it in and push the little button and it lights up red. And then you take the lid off or do you have one of those handheld? It looks like a little, uh, um, you know, an emulsifier wand. Which do you use? The one with the lid, actually, yes. And we and I have, we've so frothed things in the past that it has pushed off the lid in a foaming over, you know, an overabundance of foam. So <laughs> the kids love that for hot cocoa, I have to say. I bet they do. That's like putting too much soap in the dishwasher. Look, ma, bubbles. Okay, thank you yeah. very much. Ruth B. Yesner-Clark, where are you today, and what are you drinking, or what would you prefer to be drinking? Ruth B.? I am in out, just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, and mm-hmm. um, I am working from home. I'm actually sitting in my daughter's bedroom. It's uh, very, very bright and, and uh, purple and so I decided I was going to work in here today, and I am I am drinking caffeinated coffee. I also love my sleep, but I really, really needed it this morning—a huge stroke of it to get myself going. And I just decided yesterday that I needed to cut out a, a lot of sugar. I was eating way too much sugar, and um, so I'm on a, a real sugar reduction. So I'm drinking it with just some coconut milk, which is. Um, it's delicious. Totally delicious. Totally fine. Good. Delicious and bright purple. That goes together, <laughs> I think. Thank you very much. And cutting down sugar. I think I've tried because I'm buying less. So I have to do without it more often instead of running to the store. And yes, yeah, so baking less, eating less sugar and, and trying to be good about it. I don't know. Joe, I, I probably will never learn that lesson, but good for you. I'll, I'll try, try to emulate Joe Burton. Uh, now let's go to Larry Stoley. Larry, where are you and what's in your cup today? You have the Yeti mug with you, Larry? Yes, I do. I'm, I'm in my home office where I normally reside, and I'm drinking my usual straight black Folgers coffee with uh, caffeine. Um, I, Joe, I'm not convinced there's such a thing as caffeine. I can drink it from sunup to sundown and doesn't have any impact whatsoever on me. I can change and do... Uh, decaf and no withdrawals, no no challenges. So I guess I'm very very fortunate in that regard. So uh, coffee for me tastes good. I like it black. I was taught to drink it black, and that's the way I drink it today. And not burnt, as some of my uh, uh, ah. colleagues inform me. Don't overheat it. Drink it hot. Drink it warm. Don't drink it cold. Very interesting. Thank you, Larry. We'll try. Yes, don't drink it cold. And as Larry, Heather, and Ruth B. probably remember, and Joe is going about to find out, they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. No, I didn't sneak a little full-strength latte. I think it was it. Heather said uh, high test. Heather, you said full, full test, something like that. That's an old term. I, I didn't think Heather was – Heather, you probably heard that somewhere. You're not old enough. But we used to – my dad used to drive into the gas station. He'd say to – 
to the the pump guy. I don't know what else we called him back in the day. No such thing as, as self-pumping gas. And he'd say, fill it up, high test. And that meant the, the full octane. Whatever you got, that's what my car is going to take. So there. So I'm having high octane water today and out of a Brita filter and a cool clear mug with a pink straw because I'm hoping this, the rain will some. No, Larry, we're not shoveling the rain. I'm <laughs> hoping the rain will abate sometime in the near future. Uh, we had daffodils bloom here in New York on the North Shore of Long Island about a month ago to their great misfortune and now the daffodils have their pretty little yellow heads lying on the ground on the dirt saying why me why me because we had snow and we had freezing temperatures and they got almost destroyed but they're still there and now the pear tree blossoms have opened up this morning so I'm a happy camper anyway we are talking about city traffic and stress what's the cure is it self-driving cars with more time to do everything is your mobile connected office in the car do you trust your self-driving car or is it surge pricing as some of us are calling it congestion pricing what would you pay to be on the road at high peak traffic times we're speaking with joe burton at will w-h-i-l concepts heather ashton and ruth b yester clark both at idc shout out to our good friends at idc and of course larry stoley the car guy at sap i'm bonnie d graham we're going to take a quick break the pause that refreshes 90 seconds don't go anywhere so don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial we'll be right back kevin out Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. SAP is excited to be a co-innovator with the automotive industry as we help automotive and related companies digitally transform their entire industry and disrupt their existing business models. The Future of Cars with Game Changers brings you insights from the people in the driver's seat who are making this happen. We'll delve into industry challenges and solutions that support ecosystem industries, all to help you succeed in transforming your business and business networks for success in the new digital networked age. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top technology and business strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the automotive industry is shaping the future of change for all of us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of cars with Game Changers. Exactly right. The future of cars. What will you be driving? What will be driving you? And what about traffic? Is it going to go away anytime soon? Probably not. So how do we deal with it? We're speaking today with Joe Burton at Will, W-H-I-L Concepts, Heather Ashton at IDC, Ruth B. Esther Clark at IDC, and Larry Stoley at SAP. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be for at least the next half hour. Oh, we have two shows today, the next two hours. Uh, I'm going to start the roundtable with Joe Burton, and Joe has sent us a lot of interesting topics. We're going to kick off this part of the show talking about a Harvard University study. Joe, I'm going to read two sentences from your notes here, and then why don't you kick this off? Take about two minutes, and then we'll quickly go around the table and get everybody's comments. So, Joe says... 
Harvard University estimates that the average person spends about half of their time with their mind wandering. That means worrying about the future, the past. Is my boss out to get me? Are my colleagues playing in the sandbox with me? Everything except what's happening in the moment. And Joe adds, self-driving cars can remove one small fraction of stress, but we have to retrain our brains for the modern world. Joe, please tell us more. Yeah, this is a, um, there are about over 8,000 studies on um, the health and performance benefits of mindfulness. And uh, mindfulness meditation, in short, is training ourselves to notice when we're distracted and then come back to a point of focus. And um, so with that, it's good to be focused, right? And particularly when you're in a car and you're driving, you don't want your mind all over the place uh, because that can result in accidents. Um, so when you connect this, this um, the study of Harvard, they say we spend half the time with our mind wandering they estimate uh, not only is that really bad for our performance, our business, our driving skills, but it's also terrible for our health. Um, their research estimates we spend another 20% of our time in distracted awareness, where we're you know, kind of listening, but not really. Um, for anyone on the panel who's married, you might be familiar with that state of mind. <laughs> the, uh, all of this sort of distracted, not paying attention, is, is uh, for the brain, um, imagine your brain is a refrigerator and you leave the door open. Right, mm. and so our our equipment's constantly running, but what's inside's not very good. And at the end of the day, that results in things like um, anger management issues, you know, jumping to conclusions, conspiracy theories, you know, feeling like the world's out to get you. All of this contributes to stress. And if you haven't, uh, if you're not sleeping well, <clears throat> which is also connected to stress, most people are getting into their cars like not in the best shape to drive a car in the morning. Uh, now, there's another bit of research um, where. of all accidents uh, are uh, uh, estimated to do uh, uh, because of human error, right? And so I think these two things might be connected, right? We spend half the time with our mind wandering in kind of constant state of distraction, and 91% of accidents are human error. So I'm excited about self-driving cars to take away, you know, some of that human error aspect and people getting hurt and injured and so forth through car accidents. Um, but we still have to get to the um, sort of the, the foundational element of how do we help people with stress? And until we do that, until we can help people focus and be able to control their emotions, actually be present and aware, I just envision like, you know, self-driving cars where people are yelling at the other self-driving cars <laughs> for perceived flight. <laughs> um, and, you know, we got to get to the root cause here. Oh, that was very good, Joe. I'm sorry. I warned you that people say something funny, and if nobody else laughs, I will. And I think everybody just laughed. That was that was great. <laughs> Heather, love to get your thoughts on mindfulness and, and stress. And uh, yes, talk to us. Sure. And I love that last comment as well, because um, I'm coming at, at it from the technology side of the self-driving car. And some of the kind of, um, you know, what, what we're toying with in the industry at this point is that whole discussion of how do you build ethics or morals into that self-driving car. So, Joe, it depends. Since you seem to be very evolved, chances are that your car will be much more courteous than maybe my car, who's spent so much time in traffic, and perhaps I could program my car to be a little less courteous. Um, So so that's that's one of the issues, I think, that that we have to, you know, that goes along with all this uh, deeper underlying notion of sort of stress and stress relief. I definitely feel that I am much less stressed when I am a passenger in the car than when I am the driver of the car. I can, I can definitely let go. So perhaps that is, you know, that autonomous cars will in and of themselves sort of help us evolve and, and remove some of the stress that is related at this point 
to transportation, to, you know, to the actual driving and having to be in control of the vehicle. Uh, we can only hope. Different kind of road rage, right? We can only hope. Thank you very much. Ruth B. Yesner-Clark, let's get your thoughts on this, please. Yeah, I was just thinking about five different things about stress and relating to traffic. And, and I think there is the stress of driving and being in traffic and, and feeling miserable um, and, and distracted. I think there's also, though, a larger stress that a lot of people feel around the environment. And so when you start to think of just sitting in traffic casually in your self-driving car where maybe you're more relaxed, um, there is still, I think, a lot of underlying anxiety that we have as a society globally around the world, maybe maybe less so in certain pockets of the U.S., where people are really worried about air quality and pollution. And so I think, um, you know, just thinking about the connected driving experience and not thinking about traffic reduction you know, traffic reduction has this also other related stress around the environment and, and giving a lot of emissions and pollution. I think that's a huge, huge concern for people and a real underlying stress that people have. So I think that's one, one interesting thing to think about is um, not just the immediate stress, but sort of these global stresses that we have around what's happening to our world and what's, what's going to happen in the future, what's happening to our health. Um, so I think that that's just another another thing that I was, sort of side note that I was thinking about in terms of the idea of self-driving and traffic reduction and, and stress. Thank you, Ruth B. Let's turn to Larry Stoley. Larry, thoughts, please? Well, you know, I, I have the virtue of being mature. Maybe the world word I should use is older. and that does <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. And that does, you know, tremendous things, you know, for, for stress and so on. I, I see things a lot differently. Everything Joe said... Everything uh, Heather and Ruth B. said, yeah, I get it. I've experienced it. I've been, the, been there. But you know what? I'm in control. I turn it off. Completely? Probably not. But to a large degree, absolutely. So, you know, when, when we talk about stress from traffic, stress from all those things, you're in control. You, you have, you have the, the ability to make the choices that, you know, make those stress factors go away, make them less comfortable. I don't get out in traffic at 5 o'clock if I can help it. So I've made a choice. I'm not going to get stressed. I've also made a choice when I drive in traffic or when I'm stuck in traffic, you know, enjoying the experience of congestion that it is what it is, you know. It's going to be okay. Everything's fine. Just keep your head on. Pay attention to what you're doing. Focus. And don't let your mind wander. All of those things Joe talked about, about mind wandering, you know, conspiracy theories, somebody's out to get me. Those just, the the gray matter in your head just comes up with that stuff. And if one in a hundred is true, I I, I would tell you that's probably a high ratio. So to me, I control stress. Uh, I'm not perfect at it. I'm not the master of it. But I do realize what it is and why it is. And I make choices that uh, in the moment, are good for me, and I make choices that keep me out of the moment, so to speak. So, you know, that's kind of the way I look at it from a mature perspective. You may, you keep saying mature and all. Go ahead, go ahead. Who's that? Can I make, this is Ruthie. I just, I yeah. think this is a really interesting um, perspective on maturity because I was also thinking that when you think of this younger generation and sort of the immediacy they have to information um, and a, a sort of an impatience, so 
Larry's kind of talking about kind of being able to go with the flow, to take things as they come, to recognize when he has control and when he doesn't. Um, and I think part of the, the attractiveness of self-driving cars tied especially with car sharing is, you know, you're not waiting for a subway. You're not waiting for a taxi. You're not sitting in traffic. You can see on your app, you know, some car that's immediately coming towards you and you know when it's arriving. It happens in two minutes. You know, we see a lot of the talk of self-driving being linked to car sharing. I mean, that's less stress because you have more information and you have less waiting. And I think um, regarding sort of the younger population, um, I think that that's a big factor because they don't have sort of the maturity that Larry was talking about maybe and because they're digital natives and they've been really used to mobile apps and immediacy and a very fast pace of living. And so I think they might have a very different perspective on um, what is not stressful, and that might be really fast information and access to information um, and the stress of not waiting for anything. And, 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 you know, I agree with that. I mean, it's an evolutionary thing because I lived the stressful world. You know, impatient, got to get there, got to be there. What's this traffic all about? And and you see the, the, the change in, you know, the way I see things. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about uh, autonomous vehicles, self-driving cars, and what you can do in that car. Do your email, do your meeting prep, and so on. And I'm sitting here scratching my head and saying, why would I do that? I That's just putting a different kind of stress, as Joe said, on me. So I'll just sit back, if you will, and I'll look out the window, and I'll enjoy people walking down the street, and the pretty architecture or the, you know, the countryside, as, you know, as the case may be. And that's, that's the way I'll deal with things. So, I, I think Larry, you've mastered uh, mindfulness, I, Larry. Go ahead, Joe. Yes. Yeah, absolutely, Larry. I want to come up with a like a a, a cologne and call it Stole. Well, there's a vodka named that, that, you know. So, a, uh, uh, oh, Joe, there you go. Way there. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that, we need to call it mindfulness. I, I think we need to call it Stolen Moments. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to hear the chill, the chill in your voice, Larry. I'm, I'm, I'm so impressed. Um, there you go. So you can sit back and enjoy the experience of congestion. That's a, uh, that's a Jedi master when it comes to stress. Larry, Larry's a master. You mentioned earlier uh, me being so evolved. Uh, the truth is pretty far from that. Um, if you remember the old hair club for men commercials. Not only am I the president, I'm a member. Um, that's kind of why I, I formed Will, is uh, just sort of st- suffering from stress and anxiety and insomnia myself and looking for the help. Um, but the statistics across all these age groups, Larry, you've kind of hit it with um, traditionalists or the, have a lower stress, but they report being at sort of like the maximum they can take on. Um, boomers report being, you know, overloaded, having difficulty coping. Um, um, then you get down to millennials, and they report uh, being at having ex- extreme stress more than any other category. And I do think there's something to sort of going through life and understanding what matters and what doesn't uh, that's very applicable to traffic as one form of stress. Very interesting conversation. I was getting at a sidebar. I think some, this is Bonnie, I think a few minutes ago somebody mentioned, well, when you're in a passenger in a car, you have more time to think and not focus. And I would say you haven't been in cars with the people I know who are driving the cars I'm a passenger in. <laughs> or or try driving in, in cabs, any kind, whether it's ride hail like Uber and Lyft or regular uh, taxis in New York City. Don't tell me you've ever been in a taxi when you're not thinking. He should have taken that turn. Why did he do that? Damn, he went down a side street. Look at those 12 cars all jammed 
timed up. I'm never going to get to my meeting. There is no respite from the stress of wishing your driver was doing it something another way that you would doing be doing if you were at the wheel. So I, I wonder if that kind of stress will happen when you program your car, your self-driving car, to take the scenic route versus the high-stress traffic route so you have more time to pre- prepare that report. Heather, I want to move on because we're really, really short of time. Larry, I think we need to do part two of this topic. Barely, barely touching the surface, but a really interesting conversation. Heather, let's get back to the question of economics. It was part of the New York Times article, Can Economics Solve Congestion? And let me just read a couple of notes here. First of all, you say, Heather says, we talk about nudge techniques by governments to encourage adoption of behaviors like using electric vehicles instead of diesel fuel cars or recycling by charging for trash removal while making recycling free. She's talking about taxing specific roadways, traffic surge uh, pricing, and gamification for millennials and digital natives. A lot of interesting stuff here. Heather, can you translate all of this for us, please? What's your thought? Yeah, sure. And I um, and I'll, I'll I'll pull in Ruthie here because um, because of our shortness of time, and also because um, Ruthie and I actually did wrote some research. We we wrote a planscape about planning for connected vehicles and smart cities. So really, that intersection of the connected vehicle technology, but also how that works within the city environment and what that means from things like these nudge, you know. Um, nudge kind of techniques, right, to kind of encourage, you know, do you, do you have more parking spaces in prime spots downtown for the ride sharing and the ride hailing versus for people who drive their own cars? And, you know, some of the other examples here. And, and so I, I think there is that, you know, it's definitely a, um, it's a balance and it really depends on where you live globally in terms of how, whether you think it's invasive or not. The government, you know, the role the government has in making these policies to try to, you know, kind of push people in, in one direction or another. Um, and I think they're, but I do believe that they are, it is very effective. And I'm, I'm going to pause in a moment because I know Ruthie can share some great examples with us of some of the smart cities around the world that have done things like this to try to, you know, again, kind of reduce some of that congestion, reduce some of the traffic using technology. Ruth B., tell us some examples. Love to hear them. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, nudging is really a sort of a policy framework, right, that governments try to do, and usually they're municipal. So this is why it's so interesting because you can, you know, have certain nudges that are really locally focused and tailored to a community. So, you know, in some cases in Paris and in Oslo, they've just gotten rid of cars in their some of their city centers and there there are tourist areas and they're just walking only areas and that's one one form of nudging, right? Um, you gotta figure out a way to get get somewhere and then be able to walk around. Um, but there's other really interesting examples. For example, um, London, which opens up a lot of their transport data, only shows parking space of availability, so you can tell where there's parking openings in um, parking lots that are close to tube stations. So they're nudging people um, to park in those areas and take the subway in because that's where they're showing um, the parking spot. And my favorite example in Boston, which is the GE World Headquarters, which opened up for 800 employees but only has 27 parking spots at their very big facility, which obviously is pushing people to figure out another way um, to get to get to work. And of course, there's bike lanes and, and all sorts of policies. And I think they're very interesting because when you when you talk back to your original question about economics, mm-hmm. is you know there's a real danger of with surge pricing and other things is you you basically have people who can afford it being able to move better um, to get to work and around a city and people who are poor uh, having to kind of take the longer route and be stuck in traffic and is that a fair 
model that works for the world where um, it might be unaffordable for somebody to ever get out of traffic. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, so I think those, those are sort of considerations that municipalities and states and provinces need to think about in terms of thinking about policy and economics tied together. Thank you both. Very interesting. A doubleheader from IDC here. Larry, love to get your thoughts on this, these nudge techniques. What do you think, Larry? Well, first off, you know, being an American, I'm not going to pay for anything willingly that is supposed to be free. I mean, my my mobility, my ability to get around, to drive, to get where I want to, my freedom, um, I don't expect to pay for it, be taxed for, anything like that. So fundamentally, I have have a kind of a problem with it. The, the, the one thing that I think we need to consider in this conversation is what's the root cause of traffic? Is it cars? Uh, no. Is it people? No. The root cause of rush hour, 5 o'clock, you know, 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, is business. And with all of our connected technology, and our ability to work from remote locations, you know, technology, connectivity is ubiquitous, why do we still go into offices? And, and I'll freely admit that there are some situations, there are many situations, manufacturing, things like that, where you can't do that remotely. But talk about the GE headquarters, for example, in Boston. Um, could all of that work be done remotely? Um, telecommute, if you will, to use an old dated term. Uh, I think, you know, some of those things we have to look at, and we have to look at very hard, because when you really look at problems, you have to go all the way to root cause and not just address the symptoms. Larry, that's very profound. I I like that a lot. Let's find out what Joe thinks. Joe Burton, let's quickly go around the table, because we're technically we're in the crystal ball predictions round of the show, and I want to make sure you each get 45 to 60 seconds. But Joe, what are your thoughts about business retooling the way people work and where they work to avoid the cause of traffic congestion. What do you think, Joe Burton? Uh, I, I, you know, I, I agree with what the rest of the panel is saying. I'm, I'm concerned about the balance because every action has a, um, uh, uh, you know, a counteraction. So, um, for example, Uber has 160,000 people driving cars, right? Uh, and those folks were either unemployed or underemployed. Uh, similar statistics for Lyft and other companies are popping up doing the same. And, um, they're also all very open about moving towards self-driving fleets where they won't need drivers, right? It's a stated mm-hmm. part of their business strategy. And so the, um, the tax dollars, the jobs, the employment, et cetera, is concerning. The World Economic Forum estimates we're going to lose 5 million jobs in the U.S. Uh, in the next five years due to robotics. And mm. so I think these kind of things about, like, how do we plan for other forms of stress where if you think it's stressful being in traffic, how about not being employed for two years, right? And so I think those things need to come into the conversation as well. Thank you. You know what? I think you kind of sort of, I hate to say that, but got us into our predictions round. So, Joe, you want that to sit as your prediction or do you want to try 60 seconds more and it's got to be really, really tight? So, Joe, I'll give you, uh, do you want want to add something to your crystal ball? Um, I think I'll stick with that. I think, the, you know, the balance of, um, of robotics and automation and people, um, the impact on society, I think that's going to be a major challenge for us going forward for taxation, uh, unemployment, and people's general mental well-being. 
Thank you very much, General. Mental well-being is the key word there, operative for me at least. Heather Ashton, IDC, 60 seconds. Let's look at 2020. You know, that's my favorite year these days, Heather. So what do you see for congestion and traffic and government nudging and surge pricing? What do you think? Yeah, so technology-wise, in 2020, a um, mass-produced autonomous vehicle will be available. I believe that's going to be more in these ride-hailing, ride-sharing. So we are going to maintain... Um, the, the jobs of many of those Uber and Lyft employees. Um, I also believe that, we're, you know, that's just a, it's a little early, meaning it's only three years from now, but I believe that as we talked somewhat about the different generational kind of um, demographic issues or differences, I do believe that the, the kind of rollout of this autonomous and ride-sharing and some of these other sort of perhaps nudge efforts, right, to change the way that we um, participate in the environment, the work environment and transportation, um, will kind of work itself forward so that, you know, by the time the the digital natives, who are the ones who are just getting their licenses now, potentially, Mm -hmm. right, maybe they won't need licenses at that point, um, they'll be more accepting and willing to understand that perhaps it is going to take X amount of time to get somewhere because they have to, you know, that last mile has to be, you know, um, taken on on a train or on a bus or some other kind of, you know, mass transit. Um, so perhaps, you know, my, my optimistic hope is that by the time we get there, right, in the next five, ten years, is that we will have um, an acceptance in the human, you know, the, the people who will be using that type of um, technology and that type of transportation to go forward. Thank you, Heather. Ruth B. Esther Clark. Oh, I barely got, like, take 45 seconds. Okay, go ahead, Ruth B. All right, 45 seconds. I'm going to take it a totally different track in my prediction and think about the impact of cognitive computing on what's going to happen both with uh, ride-sharing and connected cars. Really interesting article around how Uber is using this cognitive analytics and gamification to kind of push drivers to work longer shifts and and drive in high-need areas. And I think we are also going to start to see cognitive machine learning and connected cars to kind of push drivers as consumers to order a pizza hut or do other things while driving. And then I think on the flip side, we'll start to see this used more and more for better route planning and traffic management and other solutions for good nudges. But I think cognitive, uh, that deep analytics and machine learning is really an area to watch in this segment. Thank you very much, Larry Stoley. I saved 30 seconds for you. Talk. I believe we're at the beginning of a journey uh, to a virtual world. Everything we do, we talk about virtual this, virtual that, virtual reality, and so on. I think in the future, many of our problems are going to be mitigated or solved by being virtual. The office places that create, the office environments that create traffic and so on and so forth, and the stress that goes with it. I think we're just beginning the journey of virtualization of everything we do. And while it may not be 2020, um, make no mistake, I think we're on that road. We'll all be very, very virtual in how we interact with each other shortly. And I think virtual and virtuous might be a good thing. Joe Burton at Will Concepts, thank you so much for joining us, Joe. Really appreciated your input on mindfulness and stress-free and living the good life. Heather Ashton at IDC, Ruth B. Yesner-Clark, always very, very pleased and, and privileged to have the two of you on with all of your great insights and research. And Larry Stoley, what can I say? We wouldn't be here without you, my friend. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I think we've had a really interesting discussion. Larry, I think we got to do part two. A lot more to scratch the surface on this one. So Thanks I'm going to 
Same for you. Okay. I'm going to say thank you to Ryan Treasure and Kevin Gassman at World Talk Radio, our engineers today. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I think I said that too many times. Here's a, well, my call to action is so on point today. My goodness, always for this show, fasten your seatbelt. Come on, kids, whether you're in a self-driving car or you're pedaling or you're driving yourself, put that seatbelt on. What are you waiting for? Be like Joe. Be like Heather. Be like Ruth B. Be like Larry. Go out and be a game changer today. Just do it safely and mindfully. Talk to you in an hour. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the Future of Cars with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.